Welcome to the Stories Told Podcast. This is episode 49, a dusting of fun in a stellar story. This is the Stories Told Podcast. Two authors talking about stories in movies, TV, and of course, books. I'm Michael Grayford. I write action-adventure stories in fantasy and sci-fi worlds, sometimes for younger readers and sometimes for adults. And I try to always inject at least a little bit of humor. And I am author E.W. Barnes, and I write action-adventure time travel novels and space opera science fiction. Thousands of years, thousands of worlds. But be forewarned, beyond here, there will be spoilers. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's begin. Welcome back to the Stories Told podcast. I'm author E.W. Barnes, and with me is author Michael Grayford. And today we're talking about the story told in the 2007 film, Stardust. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And what's new in your writing world? Writing world, not too much new, more of the same. I'm uh, still writing Zara 2, working my way slowly through the first draft of that. Uh, and that's it, just writing that, doing some promotion on Vela and some ad work tweaking. That's about it. How about you? Uh, same, just sort of doing the same things that need to be done. I am continuing work. I'm actually writing again on Ecliptic, finishing up that last 20% of the story and already thinking about things I want to put into the next story. So, you know, occasionally doing a little plotting work over on the side as ideas come in for the third book. And uh, continuing the editing of the audio chapters of the fourth in my time travel series. That series is called the Temporal Protection Core series. And the fourth book is called The uh, Racing Time, The Merging of Stars. So I'm getting chapters up on YouTube every week um, after I edit them in the digital narration program and making those available for free on YouTube. So that's kind of the, been the big focus of what I'm working on. Nice. You got a lot going on. Yeah. So as a reminder to our listeners, uh, you can read The Adventures of the Imperian Guard as it's being written, and that's available on Patreon. And Mike's Tales of Zara is available on Kindle Vela and on Amazon Kindle. And those links are in the show notes. So what interesting stories have you come across lately in books, movies, and television? I recently watched the Disney Plus show called echo oh oh well how do what do you think yeah i liked it it picks up from where hawkeye the hawkeye series left off the the character was introduced there and then, so now we're following her after that um and we get a little bit of backstory from her and her family uh, and then we get a quick recap of what happened with her and hawkeye and then the story goes from there I liked it. It's a very different type of story. It's not your typical superhero Marvel-y kind of saving the world or the universe is at stake, right? The, the stakes are much lower. It's more personal to her and her family and where she comes from. And I liked that. It was a nice change of pace. It was a little slow, but 
once you get into it and you kind of see where it's going, it was nice. It was it's about you know sort of generational issues that she and her family deal with, and there is of course some superhero-y element to it. But yeah, it's a, it's a smaller piece. I think there's only five episodes, but I enjoyed it. If if you're looking for a story in the Marvel Universe that's a little bit lower key, but has some good character development, I would definitely check it out. I, I'm glad that you saw that. I've been, I've been wondering whether I want to see that. I have been keeping up with the uh, Percy Jackson, as well as uh, we actually uh, now have um, Apple TV. We got a special deal uh, where we got to try it out for free. So we've been exploring there and having some fun. We tried out Ted Lasso. That looks like it's going to be a fun um, show to watch. And our offspring is big into dinosaurs. So, of course, we have to see the David Attenborough prehistoric planet stuff. I've been reading um, a book because we have an author interview coming up. So we, uh, we've got a, uh, a, an epic fantasy adventure in play here. So I've been reading that book and doing that. So that's, that's pretty much it. But there is one thing that I have seen that I wanted to make sure that you are aware of too. Have you seen the second trailer for Avatar, the Airbender, the live action series from Netflix? Yes, I did. What did you think? I remember thinking it was cool, but there were a couple of things that stood out like, I'm not so sure about that. I think it's just like visual effects stuff, maybe what I remember. But overall, I'm still looking forward to it. How about you? I thought it was great. I thought that, I guess it's the cinematography, just sort of the feel of it was really amazing. Like the way things look and the way the graphics have been rendered is really beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I was really excited about that. Yeah, no, if they can, if they can carry that feel through the whole series, that would be great. And have you done your Avatar The Last Airbender tribe quiz? (laughs) No, I haven't. What is this? Okay. You wake up on a boat next to a hall of flopping fish. You can't remember your name or what nation you come from. The captain is kind and offers to help you find your home. Do you go wherever they're going, ask to be dropped off right away, or this is all very confusing, you're not sure what to do? Interesting. I think I would ask to be dropped off. I'll drop you at Kangaroo Island. The fortune teller at the top of the hill is a bit strange, but you can trust her. Upon arriving at the docks, your stomach growls. Fortunately, there are plenty of fish in the sea, but how will you catch one? You see a sharp stick on the ground or a net that belongs to a nearby fisherman. Do you use the sharp stick? Steal the net? Use your hands or forage for kelp instead? I don't, I don't trust myself to catch a <laughs> fish with a stick. So <laughs> I think I would use the net. I don't know that I would steal it. Maybe borrow it to see if okay. I can catch fish. We'll go with the net. Congratulations, you caught a fish. After eating, you slyly return the net to its owner. So there you go. You borrowed it. You weave a path through a bustling market, but find your path blocked by a man with a cabbage cart. Do you find another way? Tell him to move. (laughs) You're in a hurry. 
or offer to help the merchant move his cart. Offer to help him move his cart. Okay. He accepts your help. That guy needs after- help. <laughs> My cabbages. Afterwards, you find yourself at a beautiful waterfront with perfectly flat rocks for skipping. Do you grab a rock and throw it, or do you continue on your journey? Oh, I definitely grab a rock and throw it. Okay. As you continue on your journey, some kids yell to get your attention. They are throwing around a boomerang and ask if you'd like to try. Do you stop and throw the boomerang? Do you tell them that you don't have time, or do you ignore them? I tell them that I don't have time. Okay. You complete your journey to the fortune teller's front door, and you hear a woman humming a tune inside. Do you knock on the door? Walk in? Or do you recognize the tune and sing along with her? I knock on the door. Okay. Before you can even knock, you hear a raspy voice say, Come in! Upon entering, you see her peeling potatoes, putting them into a pot. The fortune teller asks you to sit and meditate on the steam rising from a teapot over the fire. While you're focusing, she accidentally drops a few of her peeled potatoes. Do you stop meditating and help her pick up the potatoes? Do you follow her directions and meditate? Meditation is hard. Do you watch the fire instead? (laughs) I help pick up the potato pieces. Okay. The fortune teller sits with you and says, I can tell you desperately want to know which nation you belong to, but I want to ask, what will you do when you have your answer? You want to explore the world. You want to return home. You need more information before you make a decision. I would want to return home. She serves you the tea and asks you to drink. Afterwards, she takes the cup and gazes into it. See, it's quite obvious. I cannot tell you your name, but I can tell you your nation. And here we go. You are Water Tribe. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) So was I. (laughs) (laughs) You show signs of being a pacifist. You know that violence isn't the best way to solve a problem, and you lead by example. You're also community-minded, altruistic, and persistent. Don't forget to demonstrate that pacifism does not mean weakness. So congratulations, your water time. And for our listeners, we will put the link for this quiz in the show notes so you can try this yourself. And let us know what your tribe is in the comments. Are you ready to talk about Stardust? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's begin. Today we're talking about the story told in the 2007 film Stardust, and I will read the synopsis from IMDb. In a countryside town bordering on a magical land, a young man makes a promise to his beloved that he'll retrieve a fallen star by venturing into a magical realm. Did you like this movie, Mike? Yeah, I did like this movie. I, I, I'm not going to have too much to say because I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> I wasn't really taking notes. I was just watching it again. And I, I mean, obviously I'd seen this before, but uh, I'd forgotten 90% of what happens in the movie. So it was uh, quite a treat to watch it again. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it was, it was just fun. It was, uh, it's interesting because there's a portal fantasy where the portal is just 
a small wall that you go over. <laughs> I love how it's like four feet tall. You could just hop over it. <laughs> but there's a guardian there. Yeah, it just starts off fun and, and continues that throughout. I love how the guardian is this older guy who's been there for ages watching this small hole in the wall. And then we get to see him actually be able to really defend the wall. <laughs> he beats the kid up, Tristan, who tries to go back. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, the, all the characters are fun. Uh, they're distinct. I like how they build it up so that there's multiple antagonists, you know, multiple forces working against the heroes. And then we get to see them come together at the wall. I love the climax scene at the end. I love the puppet sword fighting scene in the climax. That was, that was so much fun. <laughs> Such a different thing. Very unexpected. There's just a lot. I mean, I if I think about it, I can go on and on. But I'm I'm more interested in hearing you talk about it. First of all, did you like it? And if so, what do you think? I love this movie. And like you, it's been a long time since I've seen it. And uh, I knew that I loved it. But then watching it, I was like, oh, I just forgot how delightful this movie is in almost every way. There are a couple of things that I might do slightly differently, but they're, they're minuscule. The story is a tight story. It's well told. There's really no downtime as far as the storytelling is concerned. There are lulls in the story that are appropriate for the moment, but it keep but the story itself keeps moving forward even in those lulls. There are wonderful pops of comedy next to you know, these hor horrific things that happen. I mean, there's some horrific elements that happen and then there's comedy right before it, right afterwards so that, you know, you're not left wallowing in any sort of one place or feeling. It, it's not, you're not made to stay in one place for too long. It's such a stark contrast to the last film we looked at, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which spent so much time in situations in scenes, even in the action, so that the action actually lost its impact. Stardust doesn't do that. This is a tight story that just moves from one thing to the next. And exactly what you just said, we've got multiple people after the same goal, multiple people who want the star. We've got Tristan who wants the star because he wants to give the star to Victoria. We've got the princes who don't know they want the star until they realize the star has the necklace and then they want the star and they want immortality or the last one who's remaining wants the star and wants immortality. We've got the witches who want the star. We've got other people who might want the star because the rumors are spreading that a star has fallen and everybody knows that if you eat a star's heart, you get immortal. And, and so there's just all these different people focused, both good and bad, focused on this one goal of getting the star. And it's just delightful how we move from one to the next to the next to see their progress and it's never boring it's just never boring it's a great it's a great movie yeah and it's it's not boring and it's still it's over two hours long and you know you don't even realize you don't really it yeah you don't even realize that it's over two hours long you're exactly right yeah it does a great job of getting you into the mood and like you said just keeping things going you know there's there's Lulls to action, which, you know, is a good thing. You, you need some of that ebb and flow in a story, but you don't want it to become boring, and this never does. It's always, you know, character development or it's moving the plot forward, even if they're just talking. Visually engaging, and the characters are fun. 
Yeah, I really like that. So this is based on a story by Neil Gaiman. Have you read the story? No, I haven't. Have you? I have not. And I'm wondering how close it is to the story as it was written. And I know Neil Gaiman is, was one of the script writers. So, you know, he had some control over the closeness of it. But as we know, in order to take a story that is produced in the reading medium and move it into a visual medium, changes sometimes need to be made. And I don't, I, I don't really have a, any idea how close this is to the written story or not. Yeah, I don't either. Well, whatever they did, they did it well. Because this is this is a, this story is good in this movie. It's very well done. Yeah, no, they yeah they did a great job with it. This is the closest thing to me to the Princess Bride. They they're similar kind of feeling for me. Yeah. Part of it is you have like the narration, the sort of outside the story voice <laughs> telling you what's going on. Part of it is you know obviously the romanticy type story that it is. Yeah. And it's whimsical, you know, has a lot of that same feel. Though The Princess Bride is a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. This is a little bit more earnest in its tone. Yeah. 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 So is there anything that you would change as a writer? Uh, Yeah, like you, I had a couple things. uh, Very small. For me, I wouldn't have included the ghosts. I, it, it just, they didn't add anything to me. And then toward the end, they were kind of, pulling me out of the immediate action that was happening. It wasn't a huge deal. And, you know, there, it, was, it was amusing, but I don't know that the, that the story presented was better by having them there. I would have rather have just kept in the moment because they had absolutely no impact on the plot. They, they didn't affect the world of the characters in any way. It was just like, commentary almost from you know the side of the stage or something again it wasn't bad but i i would have removed it i don't think it added any enough to me to uh, keep them there uh the other thing was at the very end in the climactic scene when the witch the michelle pfeiffer character i forget what her name was she she got tristan down she's about to stab him and then, you know, she seemingly has a change of heart, lets them go, only to, like, recapture them again. That seemed really weird. Like, she had just had them. She could have given whatever speech or whatever she wanted to do in that moment. It seemed like it was just put there to let give the star a chance to shine and have them hug and have her shine and have that final scene play out, which was awesome. I loved that. But I feel like they could have just done that in that moment when she's about to she's about to stab Tristan or whatever she's planning to do in that moment. You know, have Tristan cut the star loose and then she grabs hold of him as the witch is about to kill. They still could have done that. I, I just didn't see the reason for having her let them loose. That was just weird to me. But maybe you have a better insight into that. Anyway, those were my two thoughts. What about you? I had, my thoughts are actually a little bit different than yours, but I, I was going to say the, the ghosts to me were comedic relief, and they also acted a little bit like a Greek chorus, kind of informing us as the audience of things that we may not know about. Not so, I mean, it wasn't like that heavy, but I, to me, I, I, they didn't really bother me that much. I, and I think they, they were just sort of, I, to me, they felt like comedic relief. But I hear what you're saying, because you're right. They didn't move the plot forward at all. They were just sort of there. 
Uh, and as far as the witch at the end, and I don't remember her name either, I thought she did that because she needed the star's heart to be glowing. And so, because she said, you know, your broken heart was, what good is a broken heart when I can have, you know, your good heart because your true love came or something. So it, to me, it was a form of manipulation to think that they're going to escape, get her heart full of whatever star glow again, and then kill her because it was more valuable to her that way. But then I agree, it doesn't make sense. And I did think this last night when I was watching. It doesn't make sense to then turn around and scare them by breaking all the mirrors and driving them back. And then how can her heart be glowing when you're stabbing it? I mean, you know, she's going to be terrified when she's murdered. So... That part right. didn't quite make sense. When she was manipulating her, when she was at the inn that she created, and she was going to take her heart out while she was relaxed after a massage with her eyes closed, that made a lot of sense. That would be like, you know, perfect heart position. I don't know. Anyway, so yes, I agree. There is some a yeah. little bit of discontinuity there, but I'm, it's, it's a small thing. So actually was not crazy about the, um, the little clay man thing. And I think mostly just because... It sort of feels like she should have been had to do something more to have the clay connect with the man. Otherwise, you could clay man anybody in the world. Right? You could clay man the king. Yeah. So I would have liked to have seen just some bit of magic where she grabbed a piece of his hair or something to connect the clay man to Septimus. That being said, what she did with, you know, turning him into a puppet and then drowning him was some of the most creative storytelling i've ever you know you have ever seen this guy's floating in the air drowning it's just it was absolutely fascinating and i and i thought that was just so unbelievably creative what i would have changed though actually is at the beginning there are two things that kind of stood out for me the first is there's this focus at the very beginning of the story about the town of wall and then we don't really reference it again I mean, we do, you know, we've got this guy in Wall, but I think if they had actually said that the kid who wrote the letter was Dunstan, you know, Tristan's father, that would have made the connection with that opening narration. Otherwise, it was just some kid wrote about the Wall. And maybe we were supposed to assume that was him, and I just missed that. That's possible. But I, I just... Yeah, I, can, I kind of thought that that was the case, I guess. But you're yeah. right, it's not explicitly well, yeah. The other thing is this. Victoria is such an unlikable person. I kind of wondered why Tristan liked her. And I, kind, I think I would have liked something in there to explain why he wanted to go out with Victoria, besides the fact that she was just attractive. She's just not a nice human being. And he's a nice person. No. His dad's a nice person. Other people in the village seem to be nice people. Why is he attracted to Victoria? So I think if there had been something said, just a single line of, like, after he was, you know, knocked over by Humphrey, a very young Henry Cavill, <laughs> you have to look for him, like, oh my gosh, that's Henry Cavill. After he was, like, knocked down with Humphrey and, you know, he goes back to his house to his dad, who's consoling him. I think if he had said something of his dad, if his dad, you know, if he had said, I'm not good enough at Victoria, and his dad was like, no, you are. What makes Victoria good enough for you? And then he said something about, well, she's the most beautiful yeah. girl in the village, or something, or, you know, just something that explains his quest to win the hand of Victoria. 
what he, you know, and we can, we're guessing it's because she's pretty. Yeah. But again, I would have liked to have seen what is his motivation for Victoria? And then if he says, you know, what makes Victoria good enough for you? Because then that transfers over so beautifully to Yvain and what makes Yvain good enough for you? I just would have liked just a little bit of that, just a little bit of explaining what, wh why he's interested in Victoria, other than the assumption that's just because she's pretty. Yeah, no, that's a good point, too, having the father say something. Because you often have in stories where someone presents the protagonist early on with the thing that they're supposed to learn. Yes. Right? But they're not in the right mindset at that point yes. to accept that. They have to go through all the trials and tribulations to realize at the end, oh, that person was right way back when, right? So that would have been the perfect opportunity to do so. I had the same thought. I was like, she's she's horrible. Like, what does this guy see in her? But it's obviously, it's just because she's pretty. I think if you, the thing is, if you, if you make her not as horrible, then you would kind of feel bad for her when he falls for the star. So I think she needed to be someone where you're like, why are you, why are you even interested in this girl? <laughs> right. So that when he falls in love with a star, you're like, oh, okay, that's better. This, the, the world is right now. Well, and <laughs> right? I agree 100%. And I don't there's... think she needs to be changed. I think there just needed to be something to explain why he was working so hard for this, for something that the rest of us yeah. could clearly see is not a good idea. What's driving yeah, this? Purely yeah. infatuation, I think, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So if he, if his dad had said, was, you know, yeah, what makes Victoria right for you? And he says, oh, she's the most beautiful. She's glorious. You know, something where he's, we, then you can see, okay, he's focusing on the exterior and you're, and, and again, it's, it's, it's yeah. intimated. It's, you assume that's the case, but I would have loved to have yeah. heard that and had that be part of a overt conversation rather than, you know, just an assumption. So, but that's, you know, again, minuscule, this is a great movie and it's a great story. And these are just little tiny, itty bitty things. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you on, on both of those, with this and with the, uh, the clay doll. I, I almost feel like there was, like, something edited out where they Because you're right, there's always some connection with the person that you're controlling and, you know, the voodoo-type magic like that. But you have to get a piece of their hair or something like that. Uh, and here it wasn't there, so the, maybe something was edited out. But I agree with both of those. I also didn't realize in this story that the Witcher and the Daredevil were both in this movie <laughs> so long ago. You didn't, you didn't realize that was Henry Cavill? I mean, I did. On, upon rewatch, I'm like, wait, this guy looks familiar. Yeah. And then he's, and I'm like, oh, I know who this is. Yeah. But it took me a, it took me a while to realize uh, that Charlie Cox was the main character. He just, he, he looks different yeah. as a Daredevil. He sounds different as a Yeah. Or like his voice has gotten deeper. Thing. So anyway, otherwise, a very delightful story. So as a writer, what do you take away from Stardust? Um, I think the main thing is fun. I mean, that's kind of what I always try to put in my stories. I, I want them I want it to them to be enjoyable to watch, right? Where you have a pleasing feeling after the or so to read a pleasing feeling after the end of the story. It's just, you know, it's my thing. I'm not as much into heavier, deeper, darker type <laughs> things, at least in my own. You know, I, I love watching horror movies and things like that. So, so I definitely don't mind consuming that media. Um, but for me, that's not where I'm going with my work. And then the other thing that's a little more specific is 
the idea of multiple antagonistic forces working against the protagonist's goals, I, th- I thought that was really cool. And uh, the way that they wove them together by the end of the story was really good. So I like that. How about you? What is your I was actually like thinking about how would I structure this last scene with Una, Tristan's mother, driving the caravan to the wall and Yvain walking to the wall and the witch in her big carriage that she stole running, you know, driving to the wall and Septimus riding his horse to the wall and Tristan running to the wall. How would that look in a book? How would I space all that out, right? And throw the paragraph breaks as I'm updating the reader on each one's progress, trying to accomplish their goals, right? Tristan to save Yvain and Una to save Yvain and Yvain, you know, just going to be the prize for Victoria because she misunderstood the innkeeper's message. And so I was actually thinking through how to do that. I agree with you 100% that that all those converging forces coming to one place, that was a very exciting re, uh, uh, scene. How to make that an exciting read is what I was thinking about. Yeah. Uh, other things I might take away from this is just the tightness of the writing. This is another one of those great stories where everything that happened, almost everything that happened, led to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. It was all connected like links in a chain that you could, you could walk back and see how the actions of the characters moved this story forward. And it's just, and it's so clean and so tight. I really love it. That's like, I aspire to write that well, <laughs> to plot that well. Very good. I agree. Thank you for joining us as we talked about the story told in the 2007 film Stardust. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters and all our subscribers. We're so grateful for your support and your encouragement. The Stories Told podcast is available on multiple podcast platforms, and we thank you for liking and subscribing or following, depending on where you're listening. It may not be a big deal to you, but it means a lot to us. You can find Michael Grayford at michaelgrayford.com and E.W. Barnes at a thousandyears.com, and those links are in the show notes. Join us next time as we interview author Melinda Cusera and talk about her book, Cursebreaker Enchanted. Thank you, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this one was really fun. Thanks. And we'll see you next time on the Stories Told Podcast.